Hey everyone, welcome to Consulting the Manual, the podcast that discusses men's issues, see what scripture says about them, and discusses how that applies to our lives today. This episode, I sit down with my friend Jonathan Watts and we talk about men's need for a manual on life, how to get started reading the Bible for yourself, and other observations along the way. Okay, Jonathan, I appreciate you sitting down with me to, to talk today. Glad to be here. Today we're actually going to get started with our, our first episode where we want to take a look at you know, why we look at the Bible as an instruction manual for life. Kind of feel like it's, it's a metaphor a lot of guys can kind of get behind. You know, if right. you're working on a car or electronic or even putting together a piece of Ikea and, and, you're, and you run into right. your difficulties, you go back to your manual. The Bible is a lot like that. I don't think a lot of guys realize that a lot of the problems or hurdles or challenges they face are all addressed in here. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you kind of find that to be the case? I do. I think some, sometimes when I was growing up, I, I always heard that the, the Bible was a good roadmap to life. And I agree with that and don't agree with that in some respects just because, you know, when I'm 18 and deciding where to go to college, well, the colleges aren't listed there, so it's not going to tell me to go to this place. But when you think of it more as a manual of a how-to, it, it does teach me how to make that choice. It does teach me how to make the choice in my wife. It does teach me how to be a husband, how to be a man. And so I think it's much more accurate to describe it as a manual, uh, as aside from just a roadmap to life and those things. Do you think that's a, like a challenge that, I mean, whether it's anybody at, you know, in, in your church, your workplace, or, or wherever, that guys don't feel that a lot of the stuff in Scripture kind of applies to life today? Like it, it's not as relevant because it's not a contemporary source for them to look at? I think the, the problem most men start with is a lot like when they're putting a piece of furniture together or assembling a computer or something like that. We just automatically from the get-go say, I don't need that. I can figure it out. Mm-hmm. And I, I think when it comes to our difficulty in contemporary times looking at something that's written thousands of years ago. You know, the earliest manuscripts that we have are right at about 2,000 years now. And then even older, you're going, how does that apply to my life? And, and in a lot of instances, it's not going to apply directly. Um, but then there's a lot of instances that it does apply directly. When, when Paul's writing in, a, in Ephesians and he's saying, husbands, love your wives as Christ has loved the church, we get a clear expectation of what God has for us as husbands. When you look in the Old Testament, he's saying, don't stir up wrath in your children. It's talking about how we should treat our children, how we should raise them up. And so I think there's definitely some direct practical applications. And then I think there's some virtues that we're taught, some values that we're taught that that even though they don't directly apply, they teach us how to approach situations. When When Jesus gives us the two greatest commandments, love God and love people, we don't a lot of times see that that is telling us how we should treat people. We should love them the same way that God has loved us. Well, that's not something that men, but even people in general, we don't do that naturally. Our natural inclination is to look at something and think of how that applies to us first. What's in it for me? Do I get a benefit out of it? And then if I judge that the the risk is or the reward is worth it, then I'll invest my time and attention. Right. But when if you're looking for uh, you know a, a guidebook on how to approach something and everything you're reading says to look for the benefit of somebody else first that's kind of contrary to what our 
natural mindset is. Yeah, it's definitely a, a counterculture book, if you want to call it that. The, the Bible is most always going to speak counter to what our contemporary society says. We, we do have this mindset of me first, me first, me first in all things, whether it's work, our relationships, even our vacations, what movie we're going to see, what we're going to eat for dinner. It's always, what am I going to get? What, what do I want? In almost every instance, especially in the New Testament, you're going to see the complete opposite. Mm -hmm. uh, Philippians, you see Paul saying, consider others more important than yourselves. And, and we get this mindset from Jesus. And he says, having this mindset that is yours in Christ Jesus. And he's talking about considering others' needs before yourself. And you're going, I don't, I don't want to do that. Right. I, I don't want to do that. And, and I think it goes back to the, you have to start with the question of, do I need this? Do I need this manual to help me make these decisions? Okay, well, as you're, as you're looking for a roadmap, as you said yeah. before, why do you go here? I mean, there's plenty of established people who have books everywhere, you know, TV shows, YouTube channels, radio. There's, there's a whole lot of resources of people that will happily give you some direction. Why do we want to consider the Bible as the place for us to go as opposed to anything else that's out there? Right. I think that for me, and, and it's got to be the, the truth for, for others as well when you, when you approach the Bible, is I don't just believe that the Bible tells me about God. Um, I also believe that the Bible is God itself, uh, if that makes sense. Okay, um, so you say that. Where, wh why, do you, why do you say that the Bible is God himself? So you, uh, you go to John chapter 1, and I was actually just reading this a couple days ago, uh, and in John 1, 1 it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And, and when we stop and think about that and put that into a practical application, well, if I'm seeking to have a relationship with God, then I have to know Him. If I want to have a relationship with you, a friendship with you, Mitch, you know, I, I've got to spend time with you. We've got to have conversations. Mm -hmm. I've got to get to know you. I think so many of us in today's society, we know about God. We don't know God. And we don't know God because we don't read what he's told us about himself and who he is, not just what he does. And, and I think that that's an invaluable aspect when you approach the Bible is remembering that that this is not just telling us about God, but it's telling us who God is. And, who, and we can't figure out who we are until we figure out who God is. And I think that we only find that in the Bible. I mean, you, go, you go back to the directions or a manual for something that you're putting together, and you think, well, if I'm putting together a chair and I'm looking at a manual for how to put together a sofa, that's not going to help me put together that chair. And I think so many times we want to run to Barnes & Noble or Books A Million and grab a self-help book that's going to teach us, you know, 10 steps to a better marriage or how to be a better uh, co-worker, how, how to be a better leader, those kind of things. And because we, we know that we need to be better. There's that need. That it's not the largest section in bookstores for no reason. We know that we need to be better at these things that we're doing and have to do. The, the problem is we're trying to put a Band-Aid on, you know, a cut, artery. It's just, it's not going to help the situation. And, and the Bible does because it doesn't just teach us how to do things. It, it teaches us why we do those things. And I think that that's, 
that's the significance and the difference in the Bible and, and other books that would seek to help. I, I think those can be good and, and certainly supplemental to the Bible, but I think when you, when you want to know how to, to really see yourself for who you are, you've got to go to the source that has created you and established you and holds you together, like Colossians tells us. I think it's an, it's an important point that I think a lot of, I think it pertains especially to men, that it's important we understand why something works or why Definitely. something has, happens as opposed to the fact of it just does. Right. Because I know for me, if I understand why something happens, especially in the big picture of, you know, either like take my job, for instance, you know, I'm, I'm going to handle, you know, my function at where I do. But if I understand how I operate within the larger scope of my department and my company and, you know, what... What I do, how that affects people down the road, or how other people, if something happens before it gets to me, how that affects me, I've, I've got a better understanding of how I can function better. Right. Uh, so I, I think that the why is, is a big deal. If you look in 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Here it says it's breathed by God, which is like a directly from Him. Now, it, it's not like God Himself reaches down and put pen to paper. Because, I mean, it's, they, they take this as a, a directly inspired written work through you know, a lot of authors. But if you're looking at that, if it's written by you know, uh, several writers all in one thing, how can you take that as a collected work from one source? Yeah, um, and I think when you when you look at the, at the language, and, and a lot of times we we forget that that in the in the English language we can have one word that means six different things. Mm -hmm. And so you you take that that scripture and you begin to look at how they worded it in the Greek, and that one word meant one thing. Um, you know, you take C.S. Lewis wrote the great book, The Four Loves, on on all the different languages of love in the Bible and how they use different words to mean different types of love. You and I. We say we love our wives, mm -hmm. but we also may say that we love a Whopper from Burger King. Well, clearly, <laughs> we, we know that those... It's two, not quite the same. It's not the same type of love there. And so you look in 16 here, and it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God. And when it's, when it's using that verbiage, breathed out by God, it's the same terminology that we see in Genesis when God breathes His life into Adam. Mm. And that's a huge, what I love to call word picture, and that we kind of in that moment get the gravity of what Paul is writing to Timothy here is that it's not that God inspired writers it's that God through those writers put himself onto paper that we thousands of years later would be able to touch and see and experience that God is good and I don't have the, the reference but I can find it but we get that idea I think it's from uh, Peter when he says that that they have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Uh, and we don't get that from anywhere else other than maybe divine revelation or, or the Holy Spirit just kind of resting on this. But we get it every single time we open the Bible mm -hmm. and read His Word. And I love that it says all Scripture, not, not just the New Testament, not just the Old Testament, not just the, the first five books or the, the wisdom literature, but all of Scripture, with all these different writers and all these different stories, is God breathed. That God blew from Himself and brought this 
crazy book into existence that we might know him. And so I just, I love that, that Paul writes that to Timothy. I think it's such a, such a huge benefit for us to know those, those kind of things. And it says it's, good, it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So all this stuff where we talked about where I want to be a better version of myself, or I want to improve, or you know, all that, that's, it speaks to all that we're, look, we're looking for you know, as, as guys. We want, we want to be better versions of ourselves in, in whatever role or facet we're doing. Right. I like what it says in Psalm 119, uh, 105. Uh, it says that your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So not only does it give me a sense of who I, who I am or, or building a relationship with God, but it also helps direct me. Like it, it, it sort of illuminates where I'm going and puts me in the right direction of where it is. Right. And... Yeah, it says that your word. So anything that's that's in here applies in that situation. Yeah, and it's um, it's interesting for us to step back from when this was penned and look at that now, because when this was penned, the word was the first five books. That's what most of of the the Jewish society at that time or the Israelites would have been working with is what Moses wrote in the first five books. And so when you stop and you think about that, and then you think about the benefit of us being born thousands of years later, now we have this huge book that just instructs us and corrects us and rebukes us and uh, strengthens us and encourages us. And I think about the, I don't know, every time I read the Bible, I always just try and use my imagination as to how that looks and plays out. And I think the word is that, that it is sufficient for my next step. It doesn't say that uh, your word is, is a lamp to my life and a light into my whole, ex, you know, my whole life. It, but it is saying is it's, it's a lamp to my feet, where my feet are going. And although we want to know where our feet are going 20 paces from now, all we really need to know is what the next step is. And all we really need to know is that we're on this path. Mm-hmm. And, and as long as we do that, because I think sometimes we get so frustrated with the Bible because it doesn't tell us 20 years down the road, you're going to be marked with this decision. Should I leave this job and go to this job? Should I move my family from this town to this town? And we don't get that whole picture. And, and so what we see here is what we were kind of talking about earlier is that it kind of indirectly teaches us to trust God. Even in that one verse, it just is teaching us to trust God that he's giving us enough. He is sufficient enough for our needs, for our safety and our security. And and I don't mean that in the sense that you won't struggle and you won't face hard times, because of course you will. Well, actually, the scripture says that you will face struggle and hard times. You will, exactly. But even in the midst of those storms, even in the midst of those struggles, he's still enough. And he's still lighting your feet and he's still lighting your path. You just have to trust him and take that next step. And I think that's kind of what the, the psalmist is getting to. In, in this and, and that's kind of hard to really kind of explain or impart to someone who's, who's maybe new to it or is looking to get started of, of having that level of trust where if you've you know, been you know, running into walls for different things you know, and, and there's a whole lot of stuff that hasn't worked out for you, just to take a, a step at a time and just trust that it's going to 
Right. Trust that it's going to work out. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, when it, for me, it's, it kind of goes back to that why is, is my why for the Bible is that I've tasted and seen that when I stay close to this and I immerse myself in the scriptures, even though life is not perfect and I still face hardships of many different kinds, I find myself a lot trusting God a lot easier because I'm staying close to who He is. And I think when, when guys, especially when we approach a problem that we just feel like is a little overwhelming, we just give up. And I think that so many guys do that when they read the Bible is they just say, well, I don't know where to start. I don't know what this means. I don't, we don't know all these things. And so instead of just diving in and, and working with it and saying, you know, I'm, I'm going to read this. I'm going to read this. It may not make sense, but I'm going to read it. Just from us reading the Word, we're going to know God better. We're going to walk with God more closely. Um, and so I think that that conversations like this just have got to happen for us to understand that we can learn, we can grow. And just because we don't know now doesn't mean we won't know tomorrow or a week from now. But if we never, if we never attempt it, then we'll never know. Um, and I think the most important thing for, for a lot of guys is to, to dive in. And you don't have to dive in blindly. Nobody's saying dive in blindly, but talk to your pastor. Talk to your friend about where mm-hmm. to start. And I, I love those conversations because even though uh, I feel like I, I understand some things, there's still a whole lot more for me to understand and there's still a whole lot more for me to know. And, and I'm not going to get that from keeping my Bible shut on my nightstand or on my coffee table. Well, I'm glad you brought up, you know, having, having trouble kind of getting into it because I think that's, that's a lot of hurdles that, you know, either new Christians or, or people who have tried it once and, like you said, run into that problem of reading and just close it up because, like, ah, I just don't get it. Right. So if, if, someone's, if someone's kind of bought into the idea of, okay, if, if this, you know, collection of, of stuff is, is from God and it's the, the manual for, for how to look at life, there's there's a lot in here, and it can kind of be a daunting task of even knowing where to look to find what it is you're looking for. So for for someone who let's just say hasn't opened the the book and even started on the first page, where do you tell somebody to, to start? Where where do you where do you dive in? Yeah. The, if if I am talking with somebody that is a new believer, and what I mean by new believer is they maybe were dragged to vacation Bible school by their grandma, or maybe they went, you know, on Christmas and Easter, but they've never really known anything about Christianity. The first book I'm going to point them to is James. Uh, And the reason for that is it is a very, very practical book. It talks about our tongue. It talks about faith and, and works. It talks about all these different kind of practical areas with the life, with our lives. And and so I think it's a great place to start. But I would also say one of the, the things that will help anyone, it doesn't matter if you're day one Christian or if you've been a Christian for 80 years, knowing the context of the book that you're reading. And what I mean by context is what's the history uh, in that situation? What's, what's happening there? What's, what's going on? Can give us a whole lot of insight to why is James writing this? Like knowing that James is the, the brother of Jesus is a huge kind of insightful tidbit of information to know reading that book and you're going wow look at how he's writing this that's so 
insane because we get in the Gospels that Mary and, and his family were coming to take him away and they're telling people that Jesus is crazy. Now James is writing this book that is just all about his brother. And I don't have a brother, but I have a sister. And if my sister was claiming all these things that Jesus claimed, then I would probably think she was crazy too. Mm-hmm. But what happened in James's life to make him radically flip to writing just one of probably one of the most well-known books of the Bible. And those kind of things are important. Who's he writing to? Is he writing to believers? Is he writing to non-believers? And there's, if you look at the book of James, there's some really good informative things that I think a lot of times we just skip over. Uh, well, so, James is a good one to get started with because, you know, there's, there's some of these books that are longer. There's some that are more poetic. There's some that's filled with metaphors and imagery and there's stuff that you could have seven theological doctorates and still not even get into it but james is only five chapters long yeah uh and even then these chapters aren't even that big but but having the fact that it's not even that big it's not a daunting task for someone to say okay i picked this one to get started but even in the midst of all this stuff there's a whole lot of content yeah there's there's a ton and i and i think you know, talking about the size of the book, I always compare it to when if you if you haven't worked out in years and you're going to go back into the gym, you're not going to go back. For me, I'm 175 pounds soaking wet. Mm-hmm. I'm not going in the gym and putting 400 pounds on the squat bar expecting to hit all 10 reps. I'm going to start where I know I can. And I think that that's a good thing for us all to remember is what can you handle? Because if, if you go into James, even as practical and even as short of a book as it is. But if you go into James day one and try and read all five chapters and then go back and and write a little bit about it and pray a little bit about it, you're going to bite off way more than you can chew. And so for me, years ago, I just finally realized 10 to 12 verses, that's about it. If I really want to study God's Word, 10 to 12 verses. If I want to understand what those verses are saying, I've got to stay in my realm. Now, mm-hmm. I know other guys that they could read the whole book of James, but I'm not one of those guys. I'm a 10 to 12 verse guy. I'm going to underline it. I'm going to circle things. I'm going to make question marks in my Bible, but I want to read the Bible in such a way that I can know it, not so I can just check a box that says, hey, I read my Bible today. Well, and what, what good is it if you read it and then retain nothing about what you, exactly. your eyes just glossed over the words. Exactly. You just wasted your own time. Yeah, exactly. And and so I think it's so important to just kind of feel out where you are. And you're only going to get that through through trial and error, just like we do at the gym. Like there, I know how much weight I can put on a bar and not do. Mm-hmm. And it takes training for me to push that a little bit further. And it takes even more training to push that a little bit further. And I think that's what it's got to be within us as men to, to really realize this is our starting point. We may not like it. We may... We may feel like it's too simple. We may feel like we need to do more. But if we'll start where we are and just begin to dive in and, and begin to, to work those things out before we know it, we're going to go, oh, man, those 10 to 12 verses, man, I, I'm good. I can keep going. And I think that that's kind of where we have to start, just like we would anything. If we're learning something new, if you're learning a new language, mm-hmm. you're not going to try and learn the whole alphabet or you're not going to try and learn how to conjugate on the first week that you're learning a new language. You're going to start very, very simple until you get the basics and then and then keep going. And 
And so some resources that I always say that you need to have when you're studying the Bible is pen and paper, which I know most people would say, of course, but it's surprising. Uh, Pen and paper, and then a good study Bible for those moments where you get to a verse and go, I have no idea what that's saying. Mm -hmm. Because they're all over the place. It doesn't matter if you're in the New Testament or the Old Testament. And a lot of of good study Bibles, at the beginning of each book, they're going to tell you the context of the book. They're going to tell you who wrote it, when they wrote it, why they wrote it, who they're writing to. They're going to give you a lot of those answers so that as you go into the book, you're going, oh man, I can kind of feel like I'm there. I'm kind of in the midst of what's going on. Because you know, you know, it's just like when we watch a movie. I I love when movies give us flashbacks. Mm -hmm. And we kind of get why this character is this way or why this situation is this way. And then they go back into the story and you're going, I feel a little bit more connected to that character. And that's kind of what I what I experience at least when I kind of research a little bit the context. Uh, in, in looking at it, there's, there's a few you know, books that, that I've heard of that are, are kind of good launching points. And, and the, main, the key thing to remember here is there's no one way to go about right. it. Uh, there are some people who start with the first page and try to read it from front to back. Yeah. Uh, if that works for you, cool. Uh, some people start with the Gospels. Uh, normally the one I hear a lot about that you want to do start with is John, because he, he's the disciple who knew Christ best. Right. Um, and he gives you a good insight into the character of Jesus, of, of who he was, how he interacted with people, and, and get to know him. And then you can take that and use that as a filter for how you read some of the other Gospels. Mm-hmm. What I call Christianity 101 is the book of Romans. Now, Romans has got a little bit, and when I say a little bit, a, a fair amount more in there, but I don't say that as an intimidating way. Mm-hmm. Like, like you said, start with 10 to 12 verses at a time. Right. Uh, but it's definitely Christianity 101. It, it kind of takes you through a lot of different things, and you gives you the the whole, like more of a bigger picture yeah. uh, for, for how things apply. If Now, people look at this and they kind of, they look at it as sort of like a, a, a dusty book that's kind of periodic or just ac- applicable to its time. But I think people kind of forget or maybe they just don't dive in deep enough to know that there's some really kind of far out stuff that comes in here that's mm-hmm. almost kind of tailor-made for like summer blockbuster movie kind of moments. Yep. I agree with you, 100%. I, I've always thought, how have we not gotten more just biblical movies? Now, I know we've gotten a ton, uh, like the, the Russell Crowe remake of Noah. Right. But I'm just going, like, you don't have to add things into that story. When God does something, like, it's an incredible story in and of itself. I mean, just the story of Paul becoming Saul, and then, I mean, Saul becoming Paul, and then becoming a ferocious missionary for the man that he was persecuting and I mean you look at the different aspects of just those stories and you go man that would make a really interesting movie if it's if it's done right Mm -hmm. and unfortunately a lot of movies that have been based on that have not been done right but (laughs) well um, they'll they'll want to take like their own personal spin or liberty on the story but I mean there's so much in here I mean you look at characters like King David out of the Old Testament who's a big who's a popular one with a lot of guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people look at him as sort of, uh, you know, the man's man. It's like the ultimate. He, I mean, he was a warrior king right. that 
earned earned his bride by killing you know two hundred plus you know enemies of his kingdom, and right. he he hold, did a whole lot of manly action stuff that you would have been proud to be in league with this guy. Yep. Uh, there's a lot of figures in in judges that were leaders of the kingdom of Israel who were, I mean, hardcore, straight up guys. You know, Gideon and Samson and and a lot of these. These were men's men. Yep. Um, there's murder and betrayal and stuff that you would think might sound like a plot out of something like Game of Thrones, but right. no, it's right. it's, it's straight out of Scripture. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there there's a lot of even even looking at all these really good stories that you can read. How do you look at that and then find yourself in the middle of it? Right. Um, you know, you you think about the the story of David and Bathsheba, and I think for any man out there, you can relate to that situation, that you see a woman, whether you're looking at something you shouldn't or whether you're just walking down the street, you see a woman and there's a desire and there's a want there, and then we see David take it even further than that. We mm-hmm. see him take lust into actual sexual immorality, and, and then that leads into cover-up and scandal, and that leads into murder and all these kind of things, but if you really take it back to to the principle of the matter, if, if he had walked out on that balcony, that he never should have been on in the first place. He should have been at war with his men. But mm-hmm. if, if he had walked out on that balcony and realized what he was doing was an offense to God in that moment and then turns around and walks back in and repents and goes back to God, Bathsheba doesn't cheat on her husband. Uriah doesn't die. King David's first son doesn't die. And so it's the reality of that. I know sometimes as men we we lust or, or we experience that that desire that want for for something else or for something more, and and we don't realize how offensive that is to God, and how how impacting that can be on our lives. And nobody, you know, I don't think that there's ever been a man that sat down and looked at pornography on his computer and said, "Man, I can't wait to cheat on my wife." Mm-hmm. But that that one decision and that that one false step that you don't see sin for what it really is can lead you before you even know it to just physically emotionally stepping out on your wife and your family and uh, I think that that when we look at scripture that way we can I can definitely identify with David whether it be him not doing what he's supposed to be doing by going to war with his men or whether it's him going on the balcony or whether you know it's him lying to Uriah and you know, I never killed a guy, but I, I identify with a lot of those with those just missteps. And when we when we do that as men, there are grave grave consequences. And and even the the encouraging part in all that is is even in the, in the face of that. And in the end, I mean, David owns up to what he did after he tried to cover it up multiple times. Right. But by the end, he owns up to it. He's still referred to by God in here as a man after God's own heart. So it's not, I mean, even with a, a huge grave series of missteps on, on his own part, you think that would have been enough for God to say, eh, on to the next king. Yeah, I mean, but, I, I think, uh, you know, even, even just the thoughts that he was thinking about Bathsheba would have been enough for God to say, you're a move. But that's the great beauty in all, in all of the Bible is that God doesn't take perfect men to show how perfect he is. He takes broken, messed up men and 
does something miraculous with him that nobody would have thought of. I mean, you just look. I mean, even even Moses. I mean, Moses had a stutter. Moses had an anger problem. Moses killed a guy. But Moses is still the one that set the captives free and led Israel to what was their promised land. God used a man like that to do something just incredible. And it gives me hope reading reading stuff like that and, and really kind of immersing myself in, in that and identifying with these men that we have in the Bible because I'm those men. Like, I'm no different than them, uh, but God can still do something with me. And I'm not going to learn that and trust that, like we talked about earlier, unless I'm immersing myself and diving in and, and, and really just spending some quality time in the Word. I just don't think we naturally get those truths just from being idle. Yeah, because you could easily, you know, chat with, you know, one of your friends or buddies at work or, you know, and, and it's, I think it's important for guys to have a community of, of guys they feel comfortable plugging into. But you could take some advice of even a guy who might mean well and just kind of sharing your experience, but he's he's also figuring stuff out on his end, mm-hmm. kind of the same that, that you are. And even some, some well-intentioned advice might steer you in the, in the wrong direction just right. because, you know, your your friend, you know, told you to, to try it a certain way. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, the if you use Scripture as a basis of looking at it with, with the... The filter of putting others before yourself and, and striving to be the best version of yourself, whether you're in a room full of people or whether you're by yourself at your house, mm-hmm. where you know you, you're, you might think that you're not really accountable to anybody because there's no one else but you, yep. that's, not even, that's not necessarily the case. Right. Uh, so it, it's still able to kind of give you a good foundation for how you look at life in general. Right. Uh, where you said where something may not necessarily, you know, apply to, the, the, the Bible might not, you know, apply to, you know, how the best way to surf the internet. Right. But the, the foundation of what might give you your stumble, all that's in here. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's, it's covered time and time again with a lot of examples. And the cool thing about it is, through each example, through thousands and thousands of years that's covered in the history in here, God is the same way from page one all the way to the back cover of the book. Mm-hmm. There, there was something that, that my pastor said at a sermon once that really, really stuck with me. And, and he found it somewhere else, but he couldn't attribute to where it came from. But it says, God redeems all he allows. And so the fact of everything that's in, that's in the book, there's case after case of there's something that happens that is not necessarily according to plan, but God's still able to make something that is good out of it. Right. And the fact that that's the God in the book, but that's the God that we have today, right? Like you said, it gives me hope. It encourages it's me that despite that despite yeah. myself, I'm not left only to myself. And I think the uh, the Bible has to be that foundational element, but it also has to be the standard on which we build upon. And what I mean by that is, I think we're encouraged to as men have other men around us that are going to hold us accountable and strengthen us and encourage us, pick us up when we stumble. But I think we have to take all of that as said. It doesn't matter whether it's your pastor or whether it's, you know, the guy down the street and and really compare what they're saying to the Word. And if it doesn't line up, then we need to leave that advice or that suggestion at the door. And we need to be able to to come back to the Word and say, well, the Word doesn't say that. The Word 
tells me this, and I think a lot of guys fall into the trap of things like personal interpretation. And what I mean by that is if you and I are reading the same passage of Scripture and we get two things out of it, well, that's that's okay. We can get two things out of it as long as I can still see what you see in the passage and as long as you can still see what I see in the passage because the Bible doesn't open itself up to say, well, it means one thing for you and it means one thing for me. I think a lot of times we we don't like what we read in the Bible because it hurts. You know, it, it, it wounds at times because it's calling out those things that we feel like we, like you're talking about, like we can hide from people. Mm-hmm. We can't hide. We can hide things from people. We can't hide anything from God. Well, Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I mean, that's sometimes you can read it and really feel emotionally cut deep mm-hmm. by what you feel are your failings. Like there's, there's a standard that you, it's impossible to live up to. Yep. Getting started reading scripture is absolutely doable. You only need to find what works best for you. I want to encourage everyone to dedicate time to read the Bible for yourself and start building your relationship with God. I challenge you to start with 12 verses a day, wherever you want to start. Dedicate your time and make it count. I promise the effort you spend in God's Word will bless you as you start to run your own race to be the man God has called you to be. God shows us the framework for how to live. It's all in there. We just need to open the book and dive in. If you're new in your faith or have some questions, then now is the perfect time to start seeing what it's all about. Thanks for listening to Consulting the Manual. We'll catch you next time.